the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And uh, I just, as I made mention of, I just had it in my heart. It just seemed good to minister to you tonight. I'm not sure that it's a series. I'm not committing to that. Uh, but on the subject of healing for our bodies and uh, to teach you about that, praise God. You know, God wants you strong. If you lose your body, you have to leave the planet. If you have to leave the planet, you can't fulfill your earthly assignment. And so, you know, we talk a lot about spirit, soul, and body and how the spirit's paramount and it is. And then our soul and our minds, you know, how important that is. It's obviously true. But again, if Satan succeeds in driving you out of your temple... If he's able to destroy your, your, your earthly house before you've run your race, then he's rendered you defeated and ineffective in being able to walk out what God has for you. And uh, you need to know this, we need you on the planet. We need you on the planet. We need every member of the body of Christ that we can, strong, come on, with the whole armor of God on, with a renewed mind, Amen. Lots of finances, a heart full of faith, a mantle full of anointing, and a body that's ready to go and to do the work of the Lord. And uh, praise God. You know, that's why 3 John 2, he didn't leave, he's not just talking about money and leaving out health. We need health and we need supply. It's just common sense, you know. It seems like everywhere outside of religious settings, people get it. You got to have money. To live on this planet and if you have millions of dollars in the bank but you don't have enough strength to get out of bed well you're just poor you're poor in health you're, you're poor in wealth whatever it may be God has made abundant provision for us to have plenty of both so that we can be assignment minded will of God minded hallelujah you know Jesus said about his earthly life no man takes my life from me I lay it down Amen. And they tried to kill him, didn't they, Brother Trevor? I mean, they tried to throw him off a cliff. They tried to stone him with stones. They tried to do all kinds of things to Jesus. Amen. But they could not. They could not. Well, that's Jesus. No, we're in Christ. Come on. And uh, so I just believe this little trail that we're going to, scriptural trail we're going to run on will bless you and help you. Amen. But before we read this first verse, I want to pray over you. So bow your heads. Father, we just come before you today, and I just pray that God, uh, that you would give unto each person, me included, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you concerning this subject. Father, head knowledge is not going to get it done. We have to have a spiritual, a living revelation. It has to dawn as a reality upon our spirits what you have made available for us in this area. And I'm just praying, Holy Spirit, that you will quicken each mind and fill each heart with the light necessary for them to go, I get it, I get it, I see that, I see that, I receive that. Therefore, then they can begin to walk in it and it becomes their daily experience. That's what I'm praying for. Father, use me in these moments tonight. Uh, just as a vessel and a tool to accomplish that end. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I wanted to start here uh, in Hebrews 13 and looking at verse number 8, I believe. 
You could quote it, I know, but let your eyes look on it. Mark this verse if you've got something to mark it with. It says, Jesus Christ. And of course, Christ is not the equivalent of Chris Cody. It's not Chris Cody, Jesus Christ. Right? Christ is a title. It's his messianic title. It literally means the anointed one and his anointing. That's what that means. So think about that in saying that Jesus, the anointed one, and his anointing is what? The same. If it's the same, it's not different. It's the same. Right? We stumble over the simplicity. Amen. Jesus, the anointed one, and his anointing is the same. So the healing anointing on Jesus that we saw him utilize to heal the sick, amen, is it different today or is it the same? It was like a, is it like a, you know, a, a battery that just, you use it, and then it's drained, and then it's depleted, and then it's gone, you throw it away. No. Jesus, the person, and his anointing, he is the same. For how long? Well, yesterday, which represents the past, today, which represents the present, thank God, today. And then tomorrow, so representing the future. Aren't you glad that one million years from now, this verse will still be true? Jesus the person, he won't go from good to bad. He's not going to have a change of heart concerning you or concerning me. He is the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the Jesus, this is my point, the Jesus we see in the Gospels, amen, those four chronicles of Jesus' earthly life and teachings and ministry, death, burial, and resurrection, the Jesus we see on display yesterday, what is He today? He's the same. He's the same. What's he going to be tomorrow? He's going to be the same. Come on, aren't you glad? Man, I'm super glad about that. Go back in Hebrews uh, to Hebrews chapter 1. And let's just run a little trail of thought here. But I want you thinking about healing. Brother Higgins uh, said, and I agreed completely, the number one hindrance that keeps uh, Christians, God's children, from receiving healing for their bodies is not knowing what the will of God is about that. That is the number one hindrance. I found that to be true. He's got a lot more experience in it than me, but I found that to be true. I tell you, you know, you've got someone 65, 70% of the way there. If you can get them convinced that it is, without a doubt, the will of God to heal me now, but so many people are tangled up because of wrong teaching, ignorance uh, on the subject, a lack of preaching along that, uh, that line. Amen? And so we want to just derive this far from you. Hallelujah. It's the will of God to heal you. Oh, how do I know? Well, we're, we're, we're going to show you how. Amen. 
I already just preached enough to you. I mean, he's the same. You know, if, if Jesus was away with Brother Philip, but not willing to be the same way with Sister Arlene, what does that make him? A respecter of persons. I mean, if all things being equal, let's say the, the obedience is the same, the light is the same, the heart is the same, come on, the covenant's the same. If, God, if Jesus did something for Brother Philip, all things being equal, that he is not willing to do for Arlene, amen, then Jesus is now a respecter of persons. God says expressly in multiple places that God is not a respecter of persons. He never has been, he isn't today, and he never will be. So what we see on display in the life, the teachings, and the ministry of Jesus on earth in the Gospels, he's that way. He's that way today. So if, 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 the, future, if the past was drug up into uh, September 2nd, 2020 here, and the adulterous woman, uh, someone uh, drug into our service while I'm preaching, a naked woman who had been caught in the very act. And they drug her up here naked and said, this is what the law says. Do we know what Jesus is going to do in that moment? Yeah, because he already showed us, right? We know what his heart was in that moment. Was it merciful? Was it compassionate? Was he concerned about being right towards the law? Right towards the word? Yes, he was. And he had to bow down in the sand. He had to hear from God. He had to get an answer. He's trying to save her and yet not violate the law. God gives him a nugget of wisdom. You know, so when he says, well, any of you guys that are here that don't have any sin, you could cast the first stone at her. And they all walked off one by one, from the eldest to the youngest. That tells me that what he wrote in the sand, he wrote, here's your sin, here's your sin, here's your sin. So nobody's lying here today. And so she, he finds himself alone with her. And he says, daughter, where are thine accusers? Is there none to condemn you? She looks around and says, no, Lord. He says what? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, is Jesus revealing something to us about his heart towards people, towards sinners, towards people who have made gross and grievous mistakes and sins? His heart to forgive, his heart to restore, his heart to be righteous, his heart to set them on a right path. Well... And again, I'm a little bit ahead of myself here, but what the Bible reveals is, is that Jesus is putting on a fleshly, tangible display of who the Father is and what the Father's like. And that's an unchanging, undying, never altered, eternal picture. Amen. So read this here with me. I'm going to read the uh, King James, Hebrews 1, verse 1, down through verse 3, and then we'll read the Amplified. <clears throat> and it says, God, who at sundry times, it just means at different times, and in different or diverse manners, spoke in time past unto the fathers uh, by the prophets. 
God hath in these last days spoken unto us, now notice this, by His Son. You read that in a bunch of different translations, and it will bring out that it's not, God doesn't limit this. What He's saying here is that God has not just spoken unto us through His Son in the words that Jesus uttered, but everything He did. Everything He did. The mindset, the attitude, the heart, the motive. Amen. Is God speaking unto humanity? Are you with me so far? God has in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. Now notice verse 3. It's kind of a, in the King James, kind of a tongue-tied scripture, but it's very important to understand. Who being... Jesus being the brightness of His glory. And here's the phrase you really want to understand. The express image of His person. I'll stop there. It says that in the last days, God has spoken unto us by His Son. That His Son, Jesus, is the brightness, the outraying, the reflection of the Father. And is the express image of His, God the Father's, person. Let me, let, let's read that in the Amplified, okay? Uh, um, read verse 1-2. It says, In many separate revelations, the Amplified, each of which set forth the truth. About going all the way back to the Ancient part of our Bible. Of course, to us, it's all ancient, right? Amen. And, uh, but we're talking Genesis. We're talking Job. We're talking way back there. God began to speak to humanity. He did so in different ways. Right? But notice how the Amplified, which Dr. Jacob says, is the closest English Bible we have to the original Greek. Okay? In many separate revelations, each of which God set forth a portion of the truth. So never in any one moment are you getting the full nugget or import of truth in any one area. God gave, in one, uh, in one uh, scripture, one translation I read this afternoon, says that God gave a fragment of the truth. It's important that you hold on to that. Are you following me? Okay, so each of which, in these ancient revelations, God set forth a portion of the truth. And in different ways, God spoke of old to our forefathers in and by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us, I like this, in the person of His Son. Skip to verse 3. He is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outraying, or the radiance of the divine. And, you still with me? He is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature. It's going to become evident as you just hang with me. Amen? Let me give you some phrases from other translation of that He is the expressed image of God's person. The Weiss translation says this, Jesus is the exact Reproduction of His essence, God's essence. You know, until, uh, until Jesus showed up on the scene, 
none of the Hebrews really thought of God as Father. It was Jesus that brought that revelation. Over and over and over again. Jesus. It's one of the things that made the Pharisees so mad. Because if he's my father, what's that make me? His son. That made him mad. Because they were servants under the Old Testament. Not sons. So the Weiss translation says that Jesus is the exact reproduction of his essence. The New Living translation says that Jesus expresses the very character of God. The message translation says that he perfectly mirrors God. The God's word translation says that he is the exact likeness of his being. All right, you're not lost yet, right? So what, let's sum this up as you go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. So he's saying that every book of the Bible, okay, God began to speak to humanity through different forms of revelation, right? So Moses one time, he, he was taken up on the mount and he met God and he got a revelation, right? And he brought that revelation down, wrote it down. We call it the law. Abraham, we have conversations recorded of a revelation of God revealing self, himself to Abraham, things he said, Okay. And uh, now, in your Bible, you know your Bible's not laid out chronologically in order. So Job is, you know, not quite in the exact middle, but it's the oldest book we have. So God began, as He began to speak, and these different prophets were raised up, it says that God began to reveal a portion of the truth, a fragment of the truth. Here's what I want you to see. When Jesus showed up, you're getting the full, complete, unfiltered picture of God, who He is, what He thinks, what His will is in the flesh. This is so key to understand. That, um, and if you're a new, new to the Christian faith, it's so key to understand. This happened to me this last week. It's so common. Some baby, baby, baby Christians, they said they don't come to church here yet, and they, but they're interested and they had some questions, so I'd agreed to meet with them. Had a glorious time, had a wonderful time. And, uh, and I'm asking them some questions and they say, I said, well, we're reading our Bibles. I said, well, that's great. What are you reading? Job. I don't know how many, how many baby Christians, brand new Christians, the devil has inspired and led them. How come they end up in Job first? Now, why would this be hurtful? Because if that's where you begin, and that's where you begin reading, and you just get two chapters in, you've got a warped view of who God is. You have a twisted view of what God is like, especially in the area of healing and preservation and sickness, because in our English Bible, it just looks like God and the devil are having fun one afternoon playing Russian roulette with Job's life, wife, children, family, and finances. The Bible here, I'm going to make this statement, never forget it. The Bible is progressive revelation. 
that when you get to the oldest book of the Bible, which is Job, you're going to get the darkest, murkiest, right, image of the truth that the Bible offers. I'm not saying there's not good stuff in there, but we need to wake up to this reality. Hebrews 1 just told us that he began to speak to humanity and gave a revelation here and a revelation there and a nugget of truth here and a portion of the truth over here. The deeper you get into the Bible, into the New Testament, the fuller and the more complete the light you're getting, the truth and the understanding you're getting. See, in the beginning, you could tell when you read your Bible that even God's people, righteous people, they thought God was behind everything that happened, good and bad. So in my devotional time the last uh, week, I've been reading 1 Samuel. And you get over towards the end of 1 Samuel, I read it this morning. Actually, it was uh, yesterday's session that Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, was so disobedient, rebellious to God that God rejected him as king. And the very day that God anoint, has Samuel over here at this other city anoint David to be king, the anointing lifts off Saul because, you know, there's a little nugget. God doesn't anoint two people for the same position at the same time. Amen. That anointing lifts off Saul and lands on David. And the Bible says about Saul that an evil spirit from the Lord was given to Saul and he was tormented from that day. Now, there's all kinds of scriptures like that laced throughout your Bible. And if you don't rightly divide the word of truth, you're going to end up mixed up and think wrong about God. God did not send an evil spirit to Saul to torment him. The devil did that. But they didn't know anything about the devil. They didn't have that rep. God hadn't saw fit to unveil that nugget of truth to humanity yet. Go, uh, keep your finger here in John, right? Because we're coming back to John. But uh, turn over, well, let's look at one of these uh, Trip you up scriptures, all right? Isaiah 45. Is this okay tonight? Praise the Lord. You know, Paul told Timothy that the word of God must be rightly divided. What's that tell you about what's possible? If the word of God can be rightly divided, can it be wrongly divided? Yeah, it sure can and has been. Amen. So Isaiah 45, verse 5, look what it says. It says, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace, and I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Does that take you out there? Now you've got to ask yourself, does God create evil? Is He the creator of evil? <laughs> you got the one hand, you're smart, right? You're like, I'm not answering is either a trick question or I don't know the answer. I'm just not saying. Because we're reading the Bible. We're reading the Bible. Amen. 
But no, God did not create evil. He created, listen, in, in, here's the only way you could kind of get there. God established the law of sowing and reaping. Create evil so you could experience it, so you could really appreciate the good. I had someone tell me that recently. God created the evil so that after we'd been so messed up, we could really appreciate how good he is. We couldn't really appreciate how good he is had we not. That's the lie the serpent told Eve. That's the same lie. He said, no, God's holding back on you, Eve. He knows that when you eat of this, you're going to come into both the knowledge of good and evil. And you'll be like God. They were already like God. No, what, when God established people and gave them free moral will, right? That means they have the capacity to sin and endure the consequences of it. And allowing that reality would be the only way you could think of as God creating evil. But he didn't. When Lucifer sinned the first sin, he created evil and is the author of it. When Adam sinned in the garden, he sold it, right? He sinned. He is the one experiencing the evil as a consequence of what he did. But see, you cannot read one isolated text in the Bible, especially way back in a fragmentary, murky age, and get the full picture. The full picture goes back to what I was telling you in Hebrews. Jesus is the express image of the Father. He is the perfect replication of who God is, what He is like, what He thinks, and what His will is. Let's, let's go to another one of these. If, I'm sure you can find it. You're pretty skillful. Go to the right, past Ezekiel, past Daniel, past Joel and all that. Amos, get over into the book of Hosea. Hosea is in there somewhere. Before Joel, yeah, it's before Joel. Hosea chapter 6. <clears throat> now we already read, right, that God at sundry times has spoken unto us through his prophets, revealing a portion or a fragment, not the whole thing, not the full picture. We just read a statement from a prophet. He's, he's talking as God reveals it to him, but understand, God's not revealing to him the whole thing. Hello. Well, Hosea is a prophet. Amen? Way pre-Jesus. Look at chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. That sounds like Job, doesn't it? That sounds like the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. See, that's not a right reflection of what our father's like. Job said those words, they're accurately, accurately recorded, but they don't accurately reflect who our father is. Uh, you know, I can hear your processor kind of heating up. Hallelujah. Was this, just, just take this, to, if just you knew nothing else, and you haven't experienced anything about the heart of God, and you read this one verse. In one moment, the Lord, the Lord has torn me up. He just tore me a new one. He just tore me up. 
and now he's going to heal me. The Lord has smitten me with cancer. Now he will bind me up. That's how religion reads that. That's how some teachers teach that. We'll read verses like that, wrongly divide the word and say, just trust God. You have to tell me to trust God. How do I trust a guy who might heal me in the morning and smite me at night? You know what, where real, long-standing, wonderful trust is? Is when you know a person is going to be that person day after day after day. Why was Israel torn? Why were they sick? Why were they smitten? Even if you just read the full context of what's going on at that moment, you'll be able to figure this out even without the New Testament. They're sick and smitten and torn because they're rebellious sinners violating God's instruction at every turn. What they don't know is, is that God's not able to protect them based on covenant because they're violating the covenant. And they have an adversary out there that God hasn't really given them full understanding yet that is behind the sickness and the disease and the tragedy that's happening to them. But notice, even whether you're reading Hosea or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Numbers or Deuteronomy, when the children of Israel did what God said, there weren't any sick among them. They had no casualties in battle. But when they violated the covenant, sickness came, plagues broke out on the camp. And it wasn't God's will. Amen? Let's get over to John. Praise God. Yeah, hallelujah. These are, these are maybe a little deeper, meatier truths. But I tell you when, you, when you get these things, when you see it, when you get these things established in your heart, boy, you're in a new place. You're in a new place in your understanding of your Bible, the God that you're serving and have given yourself to. Hello? Amen? And the devil's not going to be able to pull the wool over your eyes in any of these areas anymore if you'll just think right and do right. Amen. But we have to take time to preach these things and teach these things so that you can see it. Amen. So John chapter 14, this is an, another, the he, this is back to that Hebrews principle that Jesus is the express image of the Father. Okay? Here's more scripture to back that up. Jesus himself, he's having a conversation with his disciples. And it's uh, John 14, verse 6 is what we want to pick it up and, and read. I'm going to read it from the New King James. It says, Jesus said to him. Now, Jesus had told this, I'm going away. And I know the way I'm going. And you know the way I'm going, Jesus said. And Thomas goes, we don't know the way. We want you to know, teacher. You just said we know the way. We don't know the way. How could we know the way? And then Jesus makes this wonderful statement we all learned in Sunday school, right? I am the way. The truth. Okay, here's another, I'm getting a little fast that I hadn't seen before. I am the truth. In other words, what Jesus is going to radiate and reveal trumps Isaiah's murky revelation. It trumps Job's completely dark understanding. Do you understand that? You'd be much better off as a baby Christian starting out in the Gospel of John. Leave your Old Testament alone till you get some grounded teaching in you. But my God, put Job down. 
<laughs> if it's happened to me once, it's happened to me 10, 15 times with brand new Christians. I'm like, who inspired you to do that? My goodness, you're going to get tangled up before you even get started. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus is the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now look at this. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. To know the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is to know the God who made everything. What is this God like? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What's his heart for me? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will tell you. Don't just read red letter, do that. His words, vitally important. Look for the motive, the heart, the, the, you know, the, the person behind the words. And you'll get to know him. Wigglesworth said, how do you get to know the Father? He says, you get to know the Father through his word. He is everything the word says about him. So Jesus said, if you have known me, you would have known my father also, and from now on you know him. Think about how strong that is. You know, that's not, that was never said to the children of Israel under Moses. And Moses saw God face to face. But to know Jesus is to know the God that made everything. To know the Jesus revealed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Amen? Trying to get this statement. Then Philip, Philip still doesn't get it yet. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for me, if I could translate that. That'll be sufficient for me. I'll be okay if you show me the Father. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, Philip, and yet you have not known me? Now here's what you really need to underline in terms of this point. He who has seen me has seen the Father. This is huge when it comes to your healing. Huge. Are you getting it? Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? None of us can say it. You want to know who the Father is? All you have to do is pick up your Bible and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, before time just totally gets away from us, let's look at some gospel expressions of Jesus the person coming in the flesh to radiate the Father's image. Go to Matthew chapter 8, my favorite. Now, I know a lot of you would say, Pastor, you say that all the time and I don't believe you. But when it comes to healing, this really, one, this really is my favorite right here. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We doing okay? You got another 10 minutes in you? Change your life, I'm telling you. You know, if, if this has been something you've heard and known before, well, I'm, I'm establishing you again in it. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people they've never heard this before. Never heard this before. So, uh, praise God. Hebrews, uh, not Hebrews, Matthew chapter 8. I'll pick it up in verse 2. 
And it says, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him. Now I want you to keep in mind, who is this God we serve? Is he a healer or not? Is it God's will to heal me? Jesus is here to put the Father on display, right? Behold, there came a lamb saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying, I'll have to think about it. Let me pray tonight and let me, let me have the Father reveal to me your innermost secrets. Let me talk to your rabbi at synagogue. The man came, worshipped Jesus and said, If you're willing, you could make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. In your head, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So if Brother Dale were to get a diagnosis and he falls down in tears in his living room alone with his Bible and cries out to God and says, Oh God, the doctor says I have such and such. I know you could heal me if you're willing. What's his answer going to be? I will, Brother Dale, my son, I will be healed. How do we know? If, if we can't know that, right, with all assurance, the Bible's a lie. There might not be a heaven. You might not be saved. That's how strong. Because he would have to either have changed or be a respecter of persons. The Bible explicitly says, I am not a respecter of persons, and I will never change. I am the same. The anointing that came out of Jesus' hands to the leper is the same. But thank God for that power, but notice the will. The will about that is what? The same. It's so powerful, but it's so simple, isn't it? You should never be wrestling again. I wonder if it's really His will to heal me. You have to feed on these truths until it comes alive in you. It will. Now, I have in my hand a, a study guide. It's a collection of uh, Bible subjects, one of them is divine healing, and it's got some different nuggets from different translations, and this is just so good. Let me just sit and listen to me for a minute. A leper now came and bowed low in front of him, sir. He said, if you want to, you can cure me. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, of course I want to. He cured, and his leprosy was cured at once. You know, people in the room, people out there, you don't have to leave the service tonight with that pain. How long did it take Jesus to get that incurable leprosy out of his body? It's not hard. People are so tangled in their gray matter. It's not hard, just receive it. Well, how's he going to do it? Stop that. It, he's God, and he's in you. Amen. His leprosy was cured at once. 
Another translation, if you have the will, you have the power to cleanse me. Jesus said, I have the will. Be cleansed. Jordan translation says, sir, if you really wanted to, you could heal me. Jesus said, I do want to. I do want to. Be healed. Another one, if you want to, you can make me clean. Jesus said, of course I want to. Be clean. <laughs> Here's one of my favorites, the basic. It says, Lord, if it's your pleasure, you have power to make me clean. He put his hand out uh, on him saying, it is my pleasure. Be clean. Hallelujah. His deal was leprosy. What's your deal? It don't matter. If it's painful, if it's dangerous, if it's hindering you, if it's not supposed to be there, come on, you got to listen to your father say, sweetie, it is my will. Be healed. It is my will. Throw that cane away. It is my will. Be healed. Live on. Amen. Here's another one. Uh, well, it's, uh, repeatedly it says, I, I will it. One translation says, I will it. It is my will. Here's one from the Weiss translation. I am desiring it from all my heart. It, it grieves me that people don't think right about God. They think God's doing this to them. And they've had preachers tell them so. It's our father's not like that. Are you like that as a parent? I have three children. I would die for them. I wouldn't think twice about it. Carve out my heart with a butcher knife if you have to. Give it to them. Am I better than God? Are you? He's a healer. Now time's getting away. But you think about all of the occasions where Jesus confronted families, individuals, and whole multitudes with sickness and disease. What did, we, what did Jesus put on display while he was down here? My willingness, my ability to heal all that come to me for healing. You comb with a fine-tooth comb, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Find me one person, one person that appealed to Jesus for healing or deliverance that did not get it, and I'll be quiet. But you can't find it. Every single mother, every single father, every single employer that appealed to Jesus for healing for a servant or an employee, they all got it. Even the Syrophoenician woman, the pagan devil-worshipping woman, got it for her daughter. Where'd she get that devil? In that woman's house, no doubt. But when she got in her heart and made her appeal to Jesus, Jesus said, great is your faith, be it unto you as you, and her daughter was delivered from that very hour. Are y'all with me tonight? Hallelujah. Look at, uh, I'll look at the clock. Look at, uh, we're in uh, Matthew 8. I don't know why I can't say Matthew. But, uh, 
Matthew 8, when it comes to healing, one of the great single chapters in the New Testament on the subject. And uh, so we have in verse 1 and 2, the healing of the leper. Jesus just barely gets turned around. Verse 5 says, When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, this is a Roman, right? Beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant. See, he's appealing for an employee. The employee is not even there. Hallelujah. My servant lies at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. Almost like, like he was eager to do it. I will come and heal him. No hesitancy. No, I have to think about it. No, I have to check with the man upstairs to see if it's his will for you. Remember the key to this whole thing. Jesus is not here just proving his deity. According to Hebrews 1.3, he is radiating out the exact likeness of the Father. He is speaking to us through His Son about your healing. So you can't remove yourself from this because Jesus isn't here and that was a long time ago. You have to flush all that. And realize what God is speaking to us in this age right now today about your healing. He spoke to you through, your, through His Son, through what He said and through what He did. And he isn't, he hasn't, what? He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That's going to reach to 2020 and 2050 and 2300. He's a healer. He's always going to be a healer. We don't have to fear the coronavirus. We don't have to fear cancer. We don't have to suffer with diabetes. Come on. We don't have to die before our uh, time. And we don't have to die sick. We can just leave. If Jacob could just leave under the Old Testament, he didn't die of heart disease. He did not die of cardiac arrest. He did not die because his liver got wore out and failed. No, he ran his race. He had run it to the end. He was aged. He was older. He gathered all of his family members around said, I'm going to prophesy to you today. And he stood up, leaned on his staff, said, here's, oh, here's what the future is for you, here's what the future is for you, here's what the future is for you. And he got back in his bed, pulled up his covers, and the Bible says he gave up the ghost. That is how I'm going out. Y'all want to stick around just enough to see, I know I'm only what? I don't know how old I am, 47, 48. I don't keep real good track. One day, should the Lord tarry his coming, my faith, my confession, my dream is let my death be the death of Jacob. Let my death be like his. That's my prayer. How many of you have been making confession, even one confession in the last six months about how you're going to go out of here? None of you. I'll just tell you, none of you. Have you, maybe? Okay, well, one. Are you, you, have you been talking about? Okay, we've got a few of you that have been paying attention. Well, I take it back then. Amen. But if you'll stick with me in this minute, one of the things I'll get over to you is I'll teach you how to die. I get that all the time. It's laugh. But I, do you want to die with tubes, unconscious, alone? You know, right now, isn't it so sad? During that strictest lockdown period, 
You died alone with your family members at best on an iPad. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. That is not God's best. I'm going to have a whole host of little, little Cody grandkids running around. Some of them will have different last names because I have two daughters. And I'm going to gather them all around. I'm going to say, listen, I'm about to pop out of here. And there's a letter over there that tells you all that grandpa and grandma have left you. And I love you. And here's the impartation. And oh, there's Jesus. Bye-bye. And that's how I'm going. That's how I'm going. How do you know? Because I say so. Because I can have what I say. Now, I'm going to have to live right. I'm going to have to live clean. I'm going to have to develop my faith. But see, I'm young and I'm thinking about this right now. I'm talking this right now. Where did you get that saying about dying the death of Jacob? Out of the Bible. Out of the Bible. I don't have time to take you back there. But I found David, I mean centuries later, praying that prayer. He prayed that prayer. He said, he said in one of the Psalms, he said, Let me die the death of Jacob. Let my death be like his. And you read how David went out. He went out with class. He went out with dignity. He went out glorifying God. I'm just saying you have to expand your thinking, not just in finances, but in the greatest of things. God has already, He has made provision for us to have a glorious home going. And you shouldn't be scared about it. I mean, I have to be careful about running this trail too long because I about half feel like I could pop out of my body and go to heaven. You, th- you think I'm serious, but I'm not, I am serious. You think I'm kidding, I'm not. As part of a hobby of mine, I study people that have gone home, and I've studied what, what comes into spiritual, what, having longevity. And people that have had legitimate out-of-death experiences come back, and, and, and I know what the Bible says to a degree about heaven, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm looking forward to going. I'm not scared one bit. If, if it wasn't for my wife, who, like Dr. Dufresne says, I have a young wife who's pretty, I don't want somebody else to get her. If it wasn't for my children and the will of God, I'd leave. I know how to do it. I wouldn't have to swallow something or shoot myself. I can get out, right? You just had to put your faith on it. I don't know how we got off on all that. But I'm just telling you, I don't know, some of you are closer than others to, to your exit. You need to talk, renew your mind. Set your faith. You're not going early. Don't go early. That'd be easy. When sickness comes, it's just, and you've really gone through a battle, it'd be easier to go than stay, right? You have to fight. You have to fight that sickness. Fight that. But one of the things that helps us in our fight so tremendously is knowing God is with you in the fight. It is not His will. For you to be, thank you, Brandon. It is not his will for us to be diseased, infirm, pain. And I mean, maybe you're highly functional. Don't tolerate migraine headaches. Don't tolerate, uh, you know, a, a slight but non hindering pain in your finger. Jesus suffered and he died for that Amen. to not be there. Amen. Preaching real good, trying to close. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And he did. He did. 
Amen. And then the next thing we see, thank you, Miss Stacy, in Hebrew, well, Matthew. <laughs> Just throw it at me then. Uh, we know that in this chapter, uh, I'm lost in the Holy Ghost now. Praise God. Y'all just took me out there. Yeah, verse 14, Jesus comes into Peter's uh, mother's house. Or, well, it's his mother-in-law, right? And she was sick with a fever. He didn't come there to heal her. He didn't know she was sick. But when he saw her sick, she came in there and stood over her. you got to read all three Gospels to get the full picture. He took her hand, and he rebuked that fever. I think it's Luke that says he rebuked it. Can fevers hear? Apparently. Well, you too. Headaches can hear. Tumors can hear. Pains will hear. Your cells hear. Stop saying, oh, that's such a funny joke. That kills me. Yeah, I want to back off because you're about to fall. Don't talk like that. Amen. So he healed her. I kind of have a joke about that, but my mother-in-law's here. I'm not going to make that joke. Praise God. I mean, if Jesus will heal a mother-in-law, he'll heal anybody, won't he? Amen. <laughs> I can't say that about my mom-in-law because she's great. She's great. I mean, he'll heal her and has, but I'm saying I don't have a bad mother-in-law. That's what I'm trying to say. Can I come home with you? <laughs> <laughs> You're siding with Cheryl then. Okay, I see how it is. Well, let's close right here. In uh, Matthew 8, 16, it says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. A-L-L. -L. Not all in the city, but all who cared enough to show up. That's why it's important to show up. Amen. They didn't get, well, i got to go, anyway. But everyone they brought. you got to know there's one rascal in the bunch. He healed them all. Why? Because he's a healer. That's what he does. Verse 17 says, He did it that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Jesus on the earth was a walking, talking, living, tangible billboard for God to talk to us through. To say to us, this is who I am. This is what I think. This is my attitude towards humanity and sickness and disease. If I find it, I don't care if it's a Sabbath day or not. I don't care if it makes me the target of religious persecution or not. This woman who had an infirmity of 18 years, she should be healed, Jesus said. She's a daughter of Abraham, he said. 
He just said, be loose. He didn't act like it was hard. Hey, woman, be loose from your infirmity. He didn't even have to walk over there. 18 years she spoke over like this and could in no ways raise herself up. One word from Jesus from afar. Whoop! Thank you, Jesus. Didn't act like it was hard. I just wanted to run that trail. The Hebrews trail. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. If you have known me, he said, you know the Father. Are you helped? Don't let the devil, the accuser, magnify your mistakes, your past, your shortcomings. Right? None of these people had read one healing book. Listened to one healing sermon. Never gone to one of Pastor Chris's classes. And they were all healed. They hadn't made 25,000 confessions. Did they? Let me think if I could just make one more confession. If I could just make one more confession. If I could just... Sometimes I just want to say, stop. You're in your head. I believe in confession. But it doesn't take 25 years and 50,000 confessions about by his stripes you're healed for Jesus to get your blood sugar straightened out. No condemnation. I'm just saying we should just be better receivers. Get out of your own way. Let him heal you. Amen? Stand up tonight. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God.